What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. My guests today have been a huge part of my life for well over 25 years. They have prevailed through difficult times, reinvented themselves, and have a very special mother-daughter bond. One is a massage therapist. The other is a retired mama who is showing no signs of slowing down. Together, they create the most beautiful quilts for friends and family. And they also make and donate quilts for several charities and organizations because giving back is important to them. Cindy and Andrea, welcome to Montrospective. Hello. Pretty accurate representation of the two of you. Oh, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could have gone on and on. We have known each other over half of our lives. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, welcome to both of you. We're going to get into the really fun stuff in a minute, uh, talking about your creativity. But first, I want to know what your childhood was like for each of you. And what were your dreams of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Go mama. Go mama. Um, <laughs> I was an adopted only child and um, of two very wonderfully loving people, uh, unfortunately, which both are gone now, um, but they were always very encouraging, especially my father would always tell me that whatever I set my head to that I could do. And I took him to heart at a lot of that. Um, and as far as what I wanted to do, I always wanted to have more than one child <laughs> because being an only child to me was kind of lonely. I had a lot of cousins and that kind of thing, but, but I always thought it would, be, would have been nice to have had a big brother, which was never going to happen. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of be a mom and fell into working at an insurance company, then worked at two other insurance companies throughout my career. Um, but just be a mom. That's really all I wanted to do. <laughs> well, I think you've succeeded at that. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, Andrea, how about you? 
Oh, let's see. First uh, and foremost, I always wanted to be a mom. That didn't work out, but I get to be an awesome aunt to lots of nieces and nephews, which is awesome. Um, and for a long time, I wanted to do theater and realized that I did not want to be judged on my looks <laughs> for the rest of my life. So I decided theater was not for me. Um, and then I didn't know what I wanted to do for a long time, except for create stuff. I just wanted to make pretty things. That was always really important, whether it was meals in the kitchen with mom or helping her decorate cakes or watching her in various and sundry side hustles to keep us afloat. It was just creating things. I always wanted to do that. Did that influence come from your mother from being oh, yes, around yes. her all the time? Yeah, always had a side hustle, was always making things. Cakes, um, cookies, everything, wedding cakes, dresses, our clothes. I mean, she made my clothes through high school and everything. I mean, you were making everything all the time. Have craft fairs to pay for Christmas gifts, all of that. All the well, time. Where did your influence come from that, Cindy? Where did your creativity come from? Well, the sewing and that sort of thing was actually a teacher I had in high school. And you're going to ask me what her name is, and I don't have a clue. That was way too long ago. But she didn't necessarily teach me how to sew, but she taught me how to read a pattern. And with that ability, I figured I could do, again, anything I set my head to. Um, and I did. Um, because I liked to be creative. Both of my grandmothers quilted. And so that was always something I wanted to do, but wasn't going to do it by hand because that just took way too long. Um, so it wasn't, again, until both of them were gone that I realized that I needed to carry that on because there was no one else in the family that was going to do that. And I wanted to carry that art on. Um, but I just, I think I had it, I, I know I had an aunt that was very influential as far as um, flowers and, and that sort of thing. I took a cake decorating course because I wanted to make my kids nice cakes for their birthday and that turned into making cakes to take to the office. And then that turned into, oh, the gal I worked with, my kids having a birthday, would you do a cake for them? And I mean, it just grew into that and wedding cakes and all that. And that was my gift to each one of the um, cousins' kids in the family that whenever they got married, I did their wedding cakes. And that was my gift to them. So I didn't get that. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> I sold all my pans by the time. <laughs> I do have to say, I do have to say you both were an integral part of my wedding. You made so much of it beautiful and so much of it go off without a hitch. So you did contribute in that way, but I did not get a cake. I will point that out. So were you always following patterns and recipes and those things? When, at what point did you develop your own style of creating? 
Um, actually, I learned to cook from both of my grandmothers, uh, one of which had owned two different restaurants in the small town of Bolivar in Southern Missouri. And then the other one was a wonderful cook. And I and watched Baker. and Baker oh and God. I watched Phenomenal them Baker. and worked with them in the kitchen from the time I was old enough to reach a cabinet to see what they were doing. And I would ask my grandmother, tell me what that recipe is. She said, hold out your hand. And she would pour a little bit of salt or something in my hand and go, use that much. <laughs> so it was just, I figured it out by watching and then doing recipes. I'm not sure I ever followed a recipe. I always modified it in some way or another. It was a guideline more than it was. Unless you were baking because that's a formula. That, that's a formula and that's, that's chemistry. That is. Um, and then my dad was a big influence on cooking as oh, well. Huge cook. Um, and he didn't learn to cook until after he got married. So um, married my mom and he enjoyed cooking. Um, so anytime I wanted to know how to fix something, I would call dad and ask him. So I think so much of that is a generational thing too, because um, Anthony's, my husband's grandmother has a cookbook and, you know, a lot of things do have amounts and, but there's no cook times or anything like that. It's like, put it in the oven and watch it till it's done. And yeah. I, I find that with that older generation is that they just kind of learned by trial and error and by doing, and if they developed a recipe out of something great, but so many of them just knew what to do. I am not that way. I have to follow a recipe to the T. I get nervous about spices and all of that. I can't do it. So obviously you learned how to do that and felt comfortable with that. Is that something you passed on to Andrea? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, when mom was working, uh, when I was growing up, you know, we would spend Saturdays meal prepping, basically. We did meal prepping before meal prepping was a thing. We're so cool in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, thought I was being lazy. <laughs> but I would have to start dinner and she rode the bus. Her, the company she worked for wouldn't, they didn't pay for parking, but they would pay for a bus pass. So she would call us before she was leaving, as she was leaving the office, and I knew I had about an hour before she was going to get home from her being on the bus for an hour, and I would get whatever we were having for dinner started, so we would do a lot of that meal prep on Saturdays and have a menu and follow the menu. Every, every day we had something else planned for dinner, so I knew what we were going to, what we were going to do, what I needed to fix, all of that well, and might yeah. need to be warmed up yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we'd do a casserole, we'd have tacos, we'd have spaghetti every week, but meatloaf was big. Chili. Chili. <laughs> they have chili, then the next day have chili dogs, <laughs> you know, poor. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. All that time I spent in the kitchen with her. Yeah. I did the same thing. Now, how did you do that again? Yeah. What's the most important, what's the most important thing you learned from her in the kitchen? Patience. Because you have to, you can't rush it. It'll be ready when it's ready. You can't rush it. That's the big thing. I think you I need to come over and teach me that. <laughs> 
One Padawan, patient. <laughs> so obviously being creative came over to you, Andrea, through influences from your mom and everything. So, you know, when she started quilting, was that something you were interested in right away or did that happen later on for you? Um, within a year of her starting to quilt, I went, okay, this is just too much fun. I want to do it. And I was influenced by the same two women, my great great, well, mainly one great grandmother and my aunt Betty. Um, because I remember during the summers, I would go down and spend weeks with my aunt Betty. And when my great grandma was still alive, I would watch them. I would sit at the bar and watch them bake and cook together. And it was like a symphony. Their hands were amazing to watch. And I just would, that's a very vivid memory. And uh, so watching that and seeing the joy that they had was uh, something that imprinted on me big time. Um, and for some reason that came back whew, when mom started quilting because I had the memories of the stories that my grandmother would tell me about the quilt that she would make. So, yeah. And, and my aunt still has a lot of those quilts that when we go down to visit are on the beds and we have those conversations again, mm -hmm. which is, it, it's just fascinating, yeah. you know. Well, there's something about quilting, anything that you're making yourself by hand that has such an emotional tie to it. And especially when it's within a family like that, that's something that you can carry on from generation to generation. And I love, Cindy, that you picked up on early on that this was important for you to carry on in your family, because I think we're in a generation right now where some people aren't interested in those things and are kind of stepping away from that. And it is dying off within families, but to have something so personal and handmade from a family member, it does hold a lot of emotion. And the fact that there's so many memories attached with it. I mean, for everybody listening, Andrea's voice changed a little bit because Cindy started cutting onions right next to her face. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's just another example of how important, you know, this art form is because you have those memories and you have physical items from those times. And, you know, you kind of describing it of it being kind of like a symphony, it's almost kind of like they're so good at their craft and they've done it for so long, they're on autopilot and they just do it, you yeah. know, and I'm pretty sure that's how I could describe the two of you right now, because you've been doing it for so long. Um, so what is it about that particular art form that was so attractive to you? What do you love most about it? I'm tactile. Yeah. I like to touch and feel things. And so getting to touch all the pretty things and that's, um, that's very beneficial. A, lo a lot of it, that is huge. And it's just creating. It is pretty. Thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Mine is, I think, more carrying on the tradition that my grandmother started. And I mean, 
my Aunt Betty that we've been referring to, which is my father's sister, she does not sew. No. I had one aunt, my mother was one of eight children and there was one aunt in the bunch that sewed, no one mm -hmm. else did. Um, so it just really became almost a mission. And when a friend of mine introduced me to, I mean, she was quilting and we worked together for many, many years and still quilt with each other once a week now that we're both retired. Um, she introduced me to the fact that I could do it on the sewing machine <laughs> and I was all in because I could do it faster. It seemed more sturdy and it was, a way that I could express myself creatively that I wasn't getting from any work that I had. You mean you couldn't express yourself creatively in the insurance industry? <laughs> I know they didn't think I was very creative at my last job, but, you know, <laughs> their law. <laughs> when you're creating new patterns or new designs is it something that just comes up in your mind's eye do you actually make out plans for it do how do you go through that process Andrea is much more creative <laughs> in that way um I have dreams about quilts yeah I do I actually have a quilt that I had a dream um <laughs> Mom loves telling this story just because the look on my face when I got up that morning was like, oh, I gotta go make a quilt. <laughs> it was like 5.30 in the morning. Um, but I had a dream that um, I was watching a NASCAR race with my grandpa. This was after my grandpa passed away, but he started liking NASCAR in his late 70s for some reason. I think it was to escape my grandmother because <laughs> it was quiet and she didn't listen to him. So, um, but we were huddled under this quilt and I got to looking at the fabric and I'm like, oh, these are really pretty. And it's all orange and blue, which are his favorite colors. And they were all 30s reproduction prints, which were um, something that I always loved, um, the 1930s reproduction stuff. And I was like, wait a second. I have this fabric and it was all of the fabric that I had been collecting to make a quilt in his honor and we were basically snuggled under the quilt that I needed to make so I saw the quilt in a dream got up that morning went from my bedroom to the sewing room and started working on it and had the top done by the time mom got home from work that night wow that's pretty powerful you know, I mean, because it just, it's meant to be, yeah. you know, to have something like that come to you and just have that overwhelming urge yes. to create it and make it. Yes. I, that happens a lot, a lot. Well, most people have a favorite store. You know, some people love going to Target. Some people love going to Hobby Lobby. You both love fabric stores. <laughs> What emotion are you feeling when you go into a fabric store? Pure joy. Yeah. <laughs> delight. Yeah. Giddiness. Um, and sometimes we even go, <laughs> 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 
Um, depending Depends on, on how long we've been in a store. Yeah. Have not been in, in a, a store. store. Yeah. This year we we did a little um, shop hop where we went to several different quilt shops in June, July, July and we were truly giggling, giddy, giddy because um, we hadn't been in a quilt shop in months and we usually go every three months to quilt shops and then we have one here in Raytown that we absolutely love we absolutely love so um shout out to show me quilting we love you back um, but um so with the quarantine and the shutdown and everything that really kept us out of those places and we ordered stuff online which we do a lot anyway but being a tactile person getting in there and touching fabric was something we missed well and with the quarantine you really couldn't go in and we touch, touch everything yeah we couldn't know. touch so i mean because other than joanne um quilt shops weren't necessarily deemed essential um at, but they would do online orders but you couldn't go in the shop so yeah going in was amazing the first time yeah, we yeah. actually did, we did. We were like giddy little school girls when we got to touch fabric in a shop. <laughs> and it should be noted that you've been known to plan vacations around quilt shops. Oh yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> <Wait a> second, <laughs> I thought it's to do. <laughs> I'm just demonstrating how much you love fabric and love quilting. It's a very big deal. And every time you discover a new shop or whatever, it's it's that joy. It's that excitement of, oh my gosh, I get to go experience something new. And you've developed a lot of relationships with these places as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have different shops that we go to for different fabrics too. So, you know, we have shops that we go for more modern fabrics. We have shops that we like to go to for more Civil War reproduction stuff if we make something with those. <laughs> Which sometimes is painful. It's painful sometimes. Um, they're not my favorite, but God bless the people that love them. Um, but we have our kind of favorite places we like to go to. I, I mean, our absolute favorite all time is Hamilton, Missouri and Missouri Star Quilt Company, but, um, but yeah, we, we love to go and we do plan them. <laughs> so there's probably a lot of people listening that have always been interested in creating and quilting and find it overwhelming. What advice would you give someone who's interested in starting? Where is a good place to start? Learn to sew a straight line. Yes. So I'm screwed. <laughs> no, you're not. Because you can do it with some practice. Yeah, absolutely. And a, and a little bit of patience. I mean, a lot of people say, I don't have the patience to quilt. Well, I don't have a whole lot of patience either because if I did, maybe I wouldn't have 30 projects that are already in the work. I have how many? Oh, I don't even know. It probably... <laughs> 50, 60, 60, I don't know. Projects in various stages of completion. Yeah. I have quilters ADHD. It's truly. Yeah. <laughs> She'll get the blocks done on a quilt and put it in a bag and set it aside. <laughs> and, and I'll go, what's this for? <laughs> oh, I just need to sew that together. Well, sew it together. <laughs> well, no, I'm working on this new one. 
makes me crazy, but that's okay. <laughs> I didn't sense that at all. <laughs> no, uh -uh. no sarcasm or anything. But that's how in nine weeks I can do 18 pull-ups. That's yeah. true. <laughs> well, for people that don't have the benefit of learning from someone they live with or have grown up with, what recommendations can you give? Are there specific YouTube channels? Are there stores you can go to? Is there a handbook you can buy? Like, what is the most effective way for someone who's completely green, who just wants to pick it up and give it a shot? All of those things. Yeah, all of those things. If you're very visual and you need to see it and you can't get to a um, quilt store that offers classes and right now it's, you know, most of them don't right now. Yeah, it's difficult right now. Um, Missouri Star Quilt Company is amazing. The tutorials are wonderful. And one thing I would tell a lot of new quilters, stay off Pinterest. Yes. Because um, it, of course, Heather, you know my dislike of Pinterest. <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit. A little bit, but... Um, you know, start simple. If you've never sewn a straight line, you're not going to be able to make some of the most intricate quilt patterns that are out there. You're not going to be able to do it. You've got to learn the rules before you can break the rules. And after almost, you know, 25 years for me and almost 30 years of quilting for mom and sewing even more than that, um, you know, you got to learn the rules. We know the rules. And we can break them now, but somebody who literally just picked up their first, you know, charm pack and want to make a baby quilt, you have no idea what you're doing. So keep it simple, you know, it, but there's a ton of videos on YouTube. Just, you know, type in Missouri Circle Company. Jordan Fabrics is another great one. There's all sorts, um, fat quarter shops you know, all sorts of great tutorials out there. Um, find one you like, stick with it, and you're gonna, you're gonna get there. It's just, you gotta put in the work first. Well, you brought, go ahead. I was gonna say one thing that's also nice for beginners is uh, all the pre-cuts that yes. are now available. Um, you know, when I first started out, you needed to buy a yard of fabric to get a and a half inch strip well now you can buy what they call a jelly roll and it's every fabric in a fabric line and it's a two and a half inch strip of that those fabrics that you can very easily sew together in many different ways to produce a quilt and um you know there are a lot of more options available to to make it affordable to make it more affordable yeah. um which, I mean, it's not a cheap hobby by any no. means. No, no. But I mean, there are definitely ways, you know, that the fabric companies have really, and Missouri Star Quilt Company was one of the ones that really kind of brought that to the forefront with the, with the pre-cuts. Um, they have made it to where it's definitely more accessible to people than what it used to be, because Quilting was not always an accessible hobby, um, but now it definitely is. And it's gaining a lot of popularity. Thank God. Yeah, it needs to. 
those domestic arts that need to be brought to the forefront as far as I'm concerned. Well, you brought up something interesting that I wanted to ask you about, Andrea. Um, what was the phrase you just said? You got to know the rules before you break the rules. Is that right? Yeah. So you have entered some quilting competitions before and you've kind of run up against the traditionalists versus the people that are breaking the rules and trying something new. Do you see that changing finally and being able to break the so-called rules? Like, I don't know why there are rules per se to begin with when it comes to creativity, but there is. So can you speak a little bit about that? So the rules with that are more style. So traditional versus modern and contemporary. And a lot of those end up being the judge. So if the judge is more of a purist, purist yeah. or a just geared more towards traditional quilts and that style, you've got no chance if you're a modern quilter. Um, but and and it's more difficult when there's only one judge at a particular event too, um, which was the case in the one I did. And I knew the second I walked through all of the quilts that were in the judged portion of that competition, that it was very traditional. So it, I knew that there was no way in heck I was getting rid of them and I didn't, <laughs> but which was fine. But she I was brave for doing I, it. It was something I chickened out on two years prior um, and I did it and I was very proud of the fact that I did do it. Um, so I've now gone through that experience and I know mom's got to run around, turn off and alarm. <laughs> but, um, but I'm glad I did it. And I definitely do want to do it again. Um, but I think I want to do more of a um, more national competition as opposed to a local competition. Is so, it yeah. socially acceptable within the quilting community to kind of break those creativity rules or is that still something that's pretty fresh and new? Um, no, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of rule breakers, um, which I love, but there's, there are people who break the rules and just could do just crazy wackadoo things. And there are some where, like me, I like to take traditional blocks and funkify them, <laughs> you know, put make a them, modern twist on, put a modern twist on them, you know, make them really big as opposed to being really small or, um, you know, put a pair of very traditional block with a just completely crazy modern wackadoo fabric or, you know, whatever it's. I like to break the rules that way because I love the traditional blocks um, and there's so much history with those blocks and depending on what type of American history you're talking about, you know, some of those blocks actually are, um, were used in the Underground Railroad to help slaves get to the north and um, it would be the type of quilt, the quilt pattern that was put on a rail outside a house to let the slaves know where their safe passage was or whatever. So e even traditional blocks have meaning depending on how you want to look at them. 
Well, that's why I find it so interesting that there's rules to begin with anyway, because I view this as an art, as an expression of the creator. So I, I find it interesting anyway, that there are specific rules that kind of need to be followed just in the, you know, creation of it, um, that people still question. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's becoming a little bit more progressive and everything, but it is. It, what you guys create is absolutely beautiful and how anyone could critique it from a different standpoint, like to have a list of rules, well, you didn't do this stitch this way and you didn't, you know, I just, that still baffles me because it's just like painting a picture. It's, it's a vision of something that you have in your mind that you're physically bringing to life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, uh, it's, it's different. And, and because it is such a traditional style of art, um, in a lot of ways, it there's still a big, huge, um, you know, it's still based in those those traditional ways of doing things, and it, we need some rule breakers to kind of get us out of that. But the way. yeah, but I mean, I don't know how long. You know, I said earlier I've been quilting for 25 years, and I would tell people I'm a quilter, and they go, "What are you, 80?" No, I, a 19 year old kid that enjoys carrying on a tradition that my great grandmothers did and my mother does, uh, what's wrong with that? So it's, you know, there's still a lot of almost biased <laughs> against the type or of person stigma. or stigma that, you yeah. know, if you're a quilter though, you're probably this dowdy old lady who has 9 million cats and, you know, it just does this because you have nothing else to do with your life and that's not at all the case she doesn't have one cat i don't have one cat not a single cat, a single cat. <laughs> i do have a lovely shih tzu <laughs> you just wanted to say shih tzu <laughs> well you both are very giving and charitable people and you've been known to make quilts to donate for you know auctions or um, for specific people. So can you talk a little bit about the organizations or charities you've worked with and why they were important to you? Um, one of the big ones that we have partnered with over the last few years is River of Refuge um, that's based in Raytown, Kansas City. It's in the old um, Park Lane Hospital and Medical Building. Um, and what they do is provide interim housing for um, low to no income families who are coming from shelters or um, on the streets or living in cars or uh, living in a pay by week, pay by month hotel, uh, motel. Or their house burned down. House burned had, down. Didn't have any place else yeah. to go. Um, and so, and, um, so the families can go there. They live. Um, they don't pay any of their expenses. Um, but they do learn budgeting and parenting classes and um, they must have a job. They must they work. Leave. And that was a big thing um, really for me too, because growing up, being right on that verge of, you know, mom lost her job, we could be homeless kind of feeling. And I, I don't know that kids should be aware of that, but I was, and I'm very grateful for the fact that I was. Um, I always admired the fact that mom did work and she always had a side hustle. Um, 
you know, if we needed money for something, she would do what she needed to do to make sure we had it um, if it was necessary. If it wasn't necessary, then it would be a discussion. Um, but so I, I, I really like the fact that this organization does require that the parents work um, and kind of instill that work ethic in their kids because that's important now. Um, they also follow the people for yeah. what, up, to, up to five years, five years after they leave there yeah. to ensure that they are still on the right track and doing the things that yeah. they should be doing. And, and I, I mean, I think all of that is extremely important. Uh, we used to drive by Park Lane and I would always say to Andrew, why don't they do something with that place? Because mm -hmm. that building sat there abandoned for many, many years. And when she told me she had a client that was working there and about this organization, I said, you have to be a part of this. Yeah. We just passed it. So we've donated close to 100, 125 quilts to them. Um, various sizes. Various sizes. And, and our goal was to provide everybody that's there with a quilt um, that they can take with them when they do graduate their program and move on. So it's something tangible that is theirs, um, that, that they, they can call their own. And kids need that when they've gone through that kind of situation. Um, now that we love doing chemo quilts um, and I have gotten connected with um, an organization through Instagram um, called 19 Quilts for Natalie. And um, on uh, Natalie was um, a beautiful young woman who died at the age of 19. And I'm gonna cheer up talking about her again because I just saw some posts that her mother put on Instagram earlier. Um, but um, so on the anniversary of her death and then on her birthday, her mother donates 19 quilts in her honor. And um, so we have done that for the last four or five years, has sent them quilts that get donated to um, the um, Huntsman Cancer Center in uh, Salt Lake City. Because and the Shriner Hospital. Too. Because Natalie was studying to be an oncology nurse when she passed down. That's so, why she chose yeah, to like to yeah. donate. Well, and, and her mother was also a nurse. So that was part of it too. So, um, and then I've donated quilts. We've done quilts for uh, Duran Cherry's um, foundation, his annual auction. Um, I didn't do it this year, unfortunately, but um, had done it for the three, three years prior. Three years prior um, and got to actually make a quilt for Duran that was presented to him on their 25th anniversary, which is very cool. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm trying to think, we've done a lot of just chemo quilts for people we know that are going through chemo and, and that sort of thing. Um, Cause you know, that's not a fun thing. You need something that represents people who love you in a lot of ways. Well, I just gave a quilt to my cousin for that very reason because mm -hmm. she's going through chemo right now. Yep. Well, there's so much love that goes into something like that because it is handmade. You know, it's not something you just run to the store and pick up. Um, you know, it's something very personal. So I'm sure everyone who's received one of those quilts, you know, feels that that love. So it's I'm it's something I've always admired the both of you for doing because these quilts are not an easy task. It's not something you just, you know, 
sit down and can whip out in 20 minutes or whatever. There's a thought process that goes along with it and so much work that's attached to it. So, I mean, how much of your week is spent quilting? Well, mom spends way more time now that she doesn't have to go to a real job. <laughs> True. <laughs> so you probably spend 40 hours a week quilting, at least. I probably mm -hmm. spend that much in my days off total. Because I'll be in this quilt studio for 12 hours on a day off. Um, but I yeah, it should, <laughs> it should be noted that Andrea has the strongest hands of anybody I know because she is a massage therapist by day and quilter by night. And how she her hands still function is beyond me. That's a lot of use right there. <laughs> well, I know, I know as an artist, picking a favorite quilt or project is probably next to impossible. It's like picking a favorite child. Um, but do each of you have a particular project that you've worked on that means something especially to you? I do. I um, started a quilt over 17 years ago. <laughs> um, and it has embroidered blocks on it. And I was working on those embroidery blocks when my youngest daughter was in the hospital um, to have my grandson, who is now 17. <laughs> um, and I worked on those quilts because she was in the hospital for two weeks prior to him being born. Three weeks. Three weeks with um, medical issues. Um, and I did not leave her side. I was there day and night. Um, and I had to do something to keep myself sane uh, because she slept probably 22 hours a day uh, because of the issues that she was having. Um, and I just within the last month finished that quilt. Um, it's so one, cool too. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. It's um, very French provincial yes. and and they're uh, big rooster embroidered roosters. And the really cool thing too, the day that Hunter was born, um, my grandma and I both worked on. Uh, one of those blocks. So it's regeneration represented in some of the work too, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's which my mother did not really no. do that kind of stuff very often, but she she was getting fidgety in the way yeah, she was. It was <laughs> a stressful day and we needed a diversion. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really kind of cool. Um, I have so many that mean so much to me for different reasons. Um, two that I have. Um, one, I did, I started collecting the fabric before uh, probably 07. And then in 08, I suffered a miscarriage and started deciding, okay, this is going to be the quilt that I'm going to do that's going to represent kind of me. And um, I collected those fabrics for a while. And then in 2010, I got laid off from a job and 
started my massage therapy career. Um, and while I was going to school, I started working on the embroidery blocks. And I have some of those embroidery blocks that a couple of my classmates worked on, um, which makes them even more special to me. Um, but that quilt um, kind of became my healing quilt in a lot of ways. And um, so that one's very near and dear to me. And the embroidered patterns that I use from this awesome website that we love to get a lot of our embroidery designs from, um, I submitted that quilt and pictures of that quilt and they ended up putting it, featuring it in one of their lookbooks um, a few years ago, which was kind of cool that it was, it was published online. Um, so, you know, I was excited about that. Um, but then I've got another one that um, we took a quilting class in 09, I think it was, our one block. Oh, yeah. Probably. Our one block class. It was the first class that we ever took with this particular instructor. And we fell in love with Karen and um, began taking classes, like every class that she would offer at this uh, quilt shop. As a matter of fact, we'd go, what are you taking? What are you going to teach us next? And she would invent classes for us. And we, then set, set them up for our group. Yeah. And it would just be our group in that particular yeah. class. Because there were like five or six of us that we were known as the Karen Groupies um, at the quilt shop. And so, um, and then we lost Karen in um, 2011. And I did not have my quilt finished and I couldn't touch it for how many years? And quite some time. I don't think I touched that quilt again until like maybe 2016, because every time I would look at it, I would burst into tears. So, um, and hear Karen in my head. Um, so when I finally got that one finished, that was a big deal. Actually, I finished. Well, you did finish it because I'm slightly directionally challenged when it comes to vertical rows. <laughs> She'd sewn it together backwards. backwards. <laughs> so she had to rip it out and then I fixed it. <laughs> All right, I've got an idea for you guys. And so go ahead and steal it from me. But I think you should write a book on storytelling through quilts because every quilt seems to have a story. And, you know, through who you're giving it to and what they experience with it. It's it's really kind of cool to have those attachments and those memories to a tangible object that oh. you know was handmade. It, it's just kind of really neat. One of the things that we do quite a bit is um, do memory quilts. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think Amanda's gonna listen to this, so I guess I can spill the beans. Yeah. Go lost, fill it. Lost my mom last year on November 30th. And that's kind of what started our 2020 was the end of 2019. But anyway, I took several pieces of her clothing and have now made a quilt for my youngest daughter um, that she's going to get as a Christmas gift. And um, we do a lot of that mm -hmm. for several people done a lot of quilts for siblings yeah um I've done um I I was 
put in contact with somebody and um, she wanted two quilts made, one for herself and one for her younger brother and gave us three totes full of clothes. And by totes, I mean the big four foot long ones full of their mother's clothes. And so I took those and did more of a traditional t-shirt quilt. Well, my version of a traditional t-shirt yeah, quilt. It doesn't look like anybody else's yeah, version. Yeah, and, and I used strictly their mom's clothes. So cut up jeans, khakis, riding pants, because she was an avid horseback rider, um, a huge KU fan. There were a lot of KU shirts. And um, scrub, she was a nurse. So scrub tops, everything and put this quilt together for him. And then the sister wanted more of a traditional style quilt that was a piece block. And I used her clothes, the mom's clothes as my fabric and actually created a piece block with the clothes, which that was the first time I had ever done that. So that was amazing to do that. And so that's now something, you know, and unfortunately, Heather, we're losing, you know, a lot of our classmates are losing their parents and breaks my heart, but also makes me realize how lucky I am to still have my mom. Um, so I can go, you know, if you want to, you know, it's not replacing your mom, but you can still hug her and cuddle with her by having a quilt. And that's as close as I can give you, but if I can help you do that. I also make a lot of pillows. Yeah, mom does a lot of pillows. Um, out of shirts. Out of shirts and stuff. Yeah. So you can I think that's, time. yeah. I think that's amazing and such a great way to honor someone and their mm -hmm. memory, but not everything, not every memory quilt you do has to do with someone who's passed. You do a lot of graduation oh, quilts, a lot of celebratory, oh. you know, quilts. I, I've, I've seen them where, you know, you've taken all of someone's band t-shirts or theater t-shirts or sports t-shirts or whatever. And you've made these amazing quilts that they're given as they go off to college. I think those are really cool. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun with those. I, I got, I had a lot of reflection. I got to do a theater quilt for one of my cousin's kids um, earlier this year. And I was kind of jealous of all the plays that they got to do. It's so not the theater experience that we had, Heather. <laughs> hey, ours was still pretty good for what it was. It was a bazillion years ago. Yeah, Full disclosure. We just didn't have the t-shirts. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't have anything cool like that. But man, no. we could talk about some memories. That's for okay. sure. So. <laughs> Have you guys had anybody ask you to do something odd or strange that you were kind of like, mm, I don't know about this? I, my lovely daughter got me into something that I had never done before, but I took a lady's wedding dress. Oh, that's me. I'm the daughter. Yeah, you're the daughter. <laughs> and made two baby quilts out of this wedding dress. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was very 90s. Yes, it was 1993. Oh, and wow. Very beaded and uh, shiny satin. Sh shiny satin. Lots and of shiny satin. They turned out 
phenomenal. Oh, they were beautiful. I must say. <laughs> they were beautiful. But um, I tried to honor the way the wedding dress was made and then keep all the glitz and sparkle I could on it. And um, You did good. So that was kind of fun. That was fun. Um, and again, kept hearing dad, you set your mind to it, you can do it, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I did. <laughs> and she was thrilled. So she was. That, she was, was thrilled. that was wonderful. She loved them. Well, I know working so closely together can maybe sometimes be a challenge. You guys do have a great relationship. We'll just call it what it is. You really do. But do you ever have creative differences in the quilting room? Yes. And if so, how do you get through those? Oh, tell her, Mom. <laughs> Usually her. I end up just doing what Andrea says. <laughs> a lot of it's over color combinations. And I have to remember that Andrea also has an interior design background. And she's always been very good with color. Um, when I was doing cake decorating all the time, she most of the time mixed the color and the icing for me. Um, so I usually just defer to her, but if I'm really adamant about it, I do what I want to do. But, oh, yeah. but most of the time I, I defer because I don't always see it. Um, and she does. So. Oh, so there was this one quote <laughs> I did. Um, so I got the block, former classmate of ours, Jenny Welch. <laughs> so uh, they were blocks that her grandmother had hand painted and she was her grandmother was going to make a quilt for her and then didn't and they got put away and they were moving I think they were moving her grandmother they found the box and it was an old Dillard dress shirt box um, and Jenny got in contact with me and said hey I've got these blocks that my grandmother painted could you make a quilt that we can give to her for her 90th birthday. And I went, sure, absolutely. She goes, please feel free to not use the fabric that's in the box. Cause it was this mint green, solid broadcloth broad fabric. Bad well, I, I ended up using it on the back. So yeah. I still paid homage to grandma. Yeah. Um, but we went to a quilt shop that unfortunately no longer exists, but um, to get, I wanted some 30s, 40s reproduction prints because they were little flower fairies that she had painted and they were so fun and colorful and just very vibrant and full of life and they just made you happy looking at them. Um, and so I got this fabric and I went, all right, mom, what do you think? And she went, okay. Really? And, You're going to put those three together? Well, you or? didn't tell me that. You no, went, but that's what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> and so as I was putting this quilt together, she's going, she has flipped her rocker. <laughs> she is off the meds. This is going to look horrible. And when I finally put the last border on, she went, oh, I get it now. And it made yeah. sense. Yeah. She <laughs> thought I had just gone insane. Um, with my fabric choices, but it was perfect. It was beautiful. <laughs> well, you kind of answered this with that answer, but 
do you find that each of you has a particular strength over the other that okay. allows you to work better together or independently? Oh, yeah. 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 Andrea is very fast at putting, uh, piecing the quote mm -hmm. top. I'm a little slower. Um, she can see some of that vision that I don't always get, but I think I'm a good technician uh, because of all my sewing experience. And she um, follows directions. I well. follow, yeah, I do. And then I know where to break the rules. Uh -huh. um, and one of the things that I have started in the past few years is um, I'm now actually quilting. Uh, Doing the machine quilting. The machine quilting. And Andrea has no desire to do that. And then I finish every quilt. I do the bindings on all of them because I do that very quickly. She binds like the wind. That's my <laughs> quilting superpower. That is her quilting superpower. And um, so, yeah, we we can play off each other's strengths mm -hmm. and weaknesses to, to make a better product in the end, I think. Yeah. And there That's are awesome. some things. I go to I go to piece a quilt and I went I mm -mm. I like I said earlier I cannot piece vertical rows that it for some reason is a struggle I screw it up every time mom's great at it <laughs> so but yet I do other things and I I have problems with angles and you don't yeah. see how some of those things fit together and She'll look at me like you're nuts. <laughs> I don't understand why you can't see this. Well, I, I don't know. But, <laughs> so she'll arrange and whatever, and then it's like, oh, okay. Then I can sew the rows together. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we do play off each other's strengths and weaknesses. Absolutely. Robert talks to me way more than it talks to her. <laughs> True. <laughs> Well, we know art and design can be very subjective and everyone's a critic. So how do you personally deal with criticism? Um, it's still a struggle. I mean, it's always a struggle <laughs> because I've put so much heart and soul in it. But, you know, I know that what I do is not everybody's favorite thing and there are quilters who love those civil war reproduction fabrics and can do beautiful things with them and I appreciate their gumption to do it um, but it's not something I want to do um, so I I have yeah. never handed anyone a quilt and had them go this is crap I do not want this it's never that reaction. I have had shown somebody a quilt top and they went, can you make it bigger? <laughs> that would have been her sister. That, that was that. my sister. <laughs> but that's a different I made situation. it bigger. That was, that's a different <laughs> situation. I mean, you know, because she's grown up with us doing this all along. So she's kind of become a, a different kind of critic. And it was her quilt. So she I was making it for her. You know, so she did want, not that I'm trying to terribly defend her, because that's exactly what that sounded like. Um, really did. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, nobody is, I've yet to say, oh my God, you know, yeah, nobody, that's ugly. That's no, hideous. That, I can't take that. That has never been a yeah. reaction. No. And I will never enter a judge contest. 
that's how I stay away from the criticism. Yeah. Because I'm just not going to put myself there. I, I want to make quilts for people that appreciate them. And that's why I do it. And I, I did it. And I'm glad I did it. I now know that I need to make sure when I enter a competition, it's not in an area that's very traditional. I guess that's the best way to put that. Well, and, <laughs> and there is a modern quilt guild that there is. does have competitions yes. that would probably be a good platform yes. um, for you to do that. But yeah. that's, I just, I don't it's, care what people think. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy because we were standing there next to the quilt when it was displayed at the quilt show. And I don't know how many people came up and said, oh my God, that's really pretty. I love that. You did that? Mm -hmm, that's mine. <laughs> that's amazing. I don't know how you did that. That looks like it was a lot of work. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> I think it makes people mad when we say that. I know. <laughs> but I, so the fact that I may not have gotten the judges' reaction, but I got a lot of people that were there that appreciated what I did. So that helps. That's a good way to flip it. <laughs> <laughs> what inspires you? Everything. Literally everything. Um, looking outside at nature. Um, the color schemes of nature, um, everything. Uh, quotes from people. I'm one of my works in progress that I have is um, I have always loved Audrey Hepburn and admired her, and I'm doing a Audrey Hepburn themed quilt, and I've hand embroidered a lot of her quotes, my favorite quotes of hers um, that I'm going to do, and I have one that's also planned. Um, that I'm going to do with Nelson Mandela quotes. And I have a lot of really gorgeous um, African prints that I'm going to put with it. Um, but yeah, everything inspires me. I'm inspired by everything. Mommy. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, um, when I'm not doing a donation quilt or something like that, I, really like to do hand embroidery. Um, and typically I start with an embroidery block and then build the quilt from mm -hmm. there. Um, and, and I have a lot of those kinds of quilts that I've made for um, people that I wanted to give quilts to. And um, because I can sit in front of the television and do the embroidery block and then put it together at the machine with lots of other fun fabrics and stuff. So I I think there's a lot of things. But sometimes it's just the fabric and what it yeah. looks like that inspires me. Um, you just have to buy it because it's pretty and then make something mm -hmm. beautiful out of it. It just yeah. feels nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we've reached the point in the podcast where I am going to give you guys a scenario that happens to everybody and it could be construed as challenging or negative and your job is to find the positive in it so find the spin on it so are you ready ready okay your car is in the shop and you have to share a car for a week 
It's a busy week of work and family obligations. Some tasks are going to have to go undone or have to be rescheduled. Find your retrospective. Well, it's, it's not too far from the truth because we've unfortunately been in that situation on multiple occasions. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and typically it's Andrea and I that are sharing the, the, vehicle, the vehicle or the ride to work or there were a few years that I didn't even have a vehicle and Andrea was working at I was, was at, I was at 95th and I-35. So. 95th and I-35. I was working downtown. So we would get up in the morning. Uh, she would drive me downtown, then go on out to where she worked and then do the reverse um, on, the on the way home. home. And we spent that time together talking a uh, lot, a lot. Um, or rocking out to music. Yeah, listening to music, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, now we've had situations where cars have been in the shop or whatever the case may be. And I will take her to work and we'll go by Starbucks and get something to just enjoy each other's company. Um, well, we seem to just get it all done. We, yeah. Some way, somehow, my other daughter had her car in the shop and kids needed <laughs> rides to school. And so I'd take my granddaughter to school or my grandson. And, you know, it's just time that we are able to spend together that we may not get otherwise. Yeah. And, and Especially um, right now, because we don't get to see the kids as often because of- Since we're not all living in the same yeah, house. Yeah, we're not all in the same house anymore. But we don't get to see them as often because of, you know, one may be quarantined or whatever or because of everything going on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always a way to spend time with each other and everything else will fall into place eventually. Yeah. If it wasn't meant bottom, to happen, it wasn't meant to happen. Bottom line is you two really like each other is what it comes down to. Well, she's right. <laughs> she's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I've always said that Andrea and I kind of grew up together because I had her when I was, you know, 20 years old and um, we just grew up together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She did. Well, I have one final question for you both. What mantra do you say to yourself that keeps you going? <laughs> well, quilt wise, if you can't see the mistake as it gallops by on a horse, there is no mistake. That's true. <laughs> it's and the galloping are, horse. There are times we'll look at each other and go, galloping horse. <laughs> this is a mess. But nobody else is going to notice it. Yeah. Or it'll it'll be okay once it gets washed. <laughs> yeah. It'll wash out. That's another one. Um, the other one, personally, it's what my grandpa used to always tell me. Um, and... I hear him say it to me a lot. It's keep your chin up. Don't let anybody get you down. And whatever you put your mind to, you can do. Mm -hmm. He's a pretty good guy. Yeah, he was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cindy, do you have any others or do you just concur with those? Oh, I, it really is truly, um, 
what he would always say is, whatever you set your mind to, you can do and keep your chin up, kid. Yep, that's it. <laughs> and now you're going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> you almost made it almost to the entire podcast. Andrea is crying over there like crazy. You held it together until just now. I cracked just a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Cindy and Andrea, besides being amazing friends to me, you are using your creativity and talent to bring joy to everyone you make a quilt for. Quilts are very personal and they carry a lot of memories and you both are responsible for giving that gift to a lot of people. So thank you for continuing to do that as long as your hands hold out. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more and seeing some of their amazing work, check out at the Hippie Quilter on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the listeners? Make the world a more colorful place. That's all I want to do is make the world a more colorful place. <laughs> be nice. Yeah, be kind. Be nice. Please. <laughs> and on that note, we drop the microphone. I will see everybody next week. Remember, your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.